Choice is proudly brought to you by Wordsworth Books. It's the first Monday of the month, so it's welcome to Book Choice on Fine Music Radio 101.3, various other frequencies, and on the web www.fmr.co.za. I'm Gory Bose-Taylor. Today's big news, of course, is The President's Keepers by Jacques Poe, subtitled Those Keeping Zuma in Power and Out of Prison. Peter Soule is tucking into it as we speak and will bring you his riveting review on the first Monday of December. And for the rest of this very happy hour, Andrew Marshbanks, Wordsworth Books, brings us a bag full of the best in fiction and non-fiction. Cindy Moritz suggests that you read and reread Forest Dark by Nicole Krauss. And Beverly Rule Smaller endorses George Saunders' Lincoln in the Bardo as this year's brilliant winner of the Booker Prize as she takes a larger look at the Booker and its successes and controversies. Mike Fitzjames, evil as ever, always keen to shred our nerves, does so today with three nerve-shredding crime stories. Vanessa Levenstein wonders how you live when your life is reduced to waiting for death as she reviews Asylum by Marcus Lowe and shares her thoughts on the powerful book Quasi, the remarkable story of Fisichele Nzukela Kuzwayo by Reedy Schlabby. Melvin Minar suggests that you probably underestimate the clout of the brilliant short story. Try what it means when a man falls from the sky by Leslie and Ketty Airman and The Accusation by Bundy. And Philip Todras offers us more short stories in a collection by the winners of the Kane Prize for African Writing in The Goddess of Matwara and Other Stories. Do stay awake. There's our easy-peasy competition question to win one of two 250 rand vouchers from Wordsworth Books. Andrew Marshbanks, a bag full of the best in fiction and non-fiction. From Hi, Gory. Well, we're heading for Christmas, and we're starting to get Christmas books in. And the first really fantastic one that's come in, one of the many, let me tell you, is the new Philip Pullman. Now, for those who know, Philip Pullman writes children's books, but they're not really children's books. He wrote a trilogy called His Dark Materials, Another World That Lives Next to the World We Are Living In and How You Get Through to the Other World. Now, this was made into a film called The Golden Compass, and I think they're doing a TV series on it, which I can't wait for. Now, he started another trilogy, which doesn't follow on from the last trilogy, but lives alongside it and it's called The Book of Dust. This has been hugely waited for by fans and it is here now. I haven't managed to read it yet because it came in I think yesterday. It's called The Book of Dust Volume 1 La Belle Sauvage and it's by Philip Pullman and it is 290 rand well worth looking out for. And then there's another book that struck my eye, another fantastic book for Christmas. It's called Endurance, A Year in Space, 
A Lifetime of Discovery by Scott Kelly. Now, he's the astronaut that spent a year on the space station. And he talks about his time there, but he also talks about his journey, how he got, how he trained to get there, his life before there, then his year up there, and then coming back. What happened to him? What happened to his body, his genetic components, etc.? And this is fascinating. And he is an extremely clever and very good writer. And he also talks about the philosophical things that he thought about up in space. What happens to your mind when you've got this time to just think about the world and the planet that's hovering below you? It's a wonderful book. It's going to be a classic. It's called Endurance by Scott Kelly, and it's about 340 rand. Then our own local John Matham on Cape Talk has produced a book about the rapid fire quiz now as you know the rapid fire quiz is a daily feature on cape talk where listeners phone in and give john matham and his crew questions and the most interesting question wins where he's done a compilation of all those questions and the answers and done it in a, a lovely style with very cogent good answers like what is griffonage and I don't know, I must say. What non-existent medical condition was invented as part of an advertising campaign for a beverage? There are all these fantastic questions here, all submitted by listeners to Cape Talk and all answered or not answered by John Matham. That's well worth having. 250 rand, and it's called Rapid Fire. Then there's a book that I may have mentioned before, But I can't remember, and appropriately enough, it's called The End of Alzheimer's, the first program to prevent and reverse the cognitive decline of dementia. It's by Dr. Dale Bredson, and he claims that these are things that you can eat, exercises that you can do, mind games that you can play, medicines that you can take that will help you in fighting off Alzheimer's. He reveals the 36 affecting metabolic factors and outlines a proven program to rebalance them, which patients can follow with the help of a healthcare professional. Also, general lifestyle and dietary changes that all readers can adopt to improve cognitive health. Now, this is, it's a huge claim, but it's something that he says that he has medical backing for. And it's a book that's taken the world by storm. I think it's worth looking into. And if anyone has fears in that way, it may be worth following. It certainly can't do any harm. It's called The End of Alzheimer's, the first program to prevent and reverse the cognitive decline of dementia. And it's 340 rand. And then the last book, it's a long time since we had a best-selling poetry book. And the poetry book called Milk and Honey by Rupi Kaur has sold huge amounts all over the world. She has just released her second poetry book, and it's called The Sun and Her Flowers. This really is extremely popular. It's a book that people have been waiting for. It's in the shops now, and anyone who's enjoyed her first book will love the second book. It's by Rupi Kaur, and it's The Sun and Her Flowers. Thanks very much. Keep well and happy reading. Cindy Moritz, Nicole Krauss's latest, Forest Dark. On the surface, Nicole Krauss's latest work is made up of fairly straightforward parallel stories. Two Americans, at different life stages, shared their everyday lives and travelled to Israel, 
to find whatever it is that they're looking for. But of course, this being Nicole Krauss, the layers beneath the narrative delve into much loftier topics. Metamorphosis, transition, self-realization and the notion of divided selves, among others. Jules Epstein is a wealthy, retired New York lawyer, recently divorced and on a quest to find the perfect memorial tribute to his late parents. Nicole is a novelist, struggling with the inspiration for the book she's writing, with an unnerving sense of already being in a place when she wasn't. She felt she had lost her way. Both choose the Tel Aviv Hilton as the concrete space to make sense of their lives. The graphic on the cover of the novel is of the monolith that is the Tel Aviv Hilton, viewed beyond the waves of the Mediterranean, a structure that holds meaning for both characters. The author also includes three black and white photos of the hotel in the pages of the novel, just in case the reader does not have a literal image of it in their mind. It is concrete, literal, as opposed to so much else that she describes. The hotel, a steady, constant presence to which both Epstein and Nicole return now and then, a place that elicits nostalgia. The somewhat bizarre events that unfold in both Epstein and Nicole's time spent in Israel describe transformation and self-realization. Epstein is invited by a rabbi he knows and meets by chance on the flight over to spend the weekend with him in Sfat, the center for mysticism or Kabbalah in the Upper Galilee. There they stay at the Gilgul guesthouse. And it is no coincidence that the word Gilgul in Hebrew translates to metamorphosis. As they drive up north, Epstein smiles to himself, considering that he was someplace he couldn't predict he'd be a week earlier. At the same time, Nicole meets Eliezer Friedman, an elderly Israeli with an accent inflected with a childhood German, who was a fan of her writing and wanted her to embark on a project involving Franz Kafka's unpublished manuscripts, which had been kept by his friend Max Brod after his death and were now languishing in a suitcase in an apartment in Tel Aviv. Krauss says she came to Kafka accidentally, having been aware of the protracted trial over his papers in Israel involving the heirs of Esther Hoff, Max Brod's secretary, who had kept the manuscripts even though the author had wanted them burned after his death. They recently became the property of the National Library of Israel. Of course, there wasn't a more appropriate story for the writer to stumble upon in light of Kafka's well-known novella, Metamorphosis. Between the Gilgul guesthouse and the lengthy ramblings on Kafka, the reader cannot ignore the theme of transformation. The name of the book, Forest Dark, only emerged once Nicole was well into writing. She took it from the lines of Dante, translated by Longfellow, that read as such. Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself within a forest dark, for the straightforward pathway had been lost. And why does one of the main characters bear the writer's own name? She explains, it was a natural decision. In a sense, the self is more or less an invention from beginning to end. What is more unreal? What is more a creation than the self? What fiction doesn't contain a deep reflection of the author's perspective and memory and sense of the world? 
This is a book that calls to be read more than once. Already, I have returned to read certain pages. And here's our easy-peasy competition question. To win one of two 250 Wordsworth Books vouchers. Yesterday was fireworks day, with all animals safely indoors, I hope. Was it to remember Guy Fawkes? Was it to remember Enid Blyton's birthday? We're waiting for your calls on 021-401-1013. Beverly Ross Waller, your thoughts on the Booker Prize and on the brilliance of winner George Saunders? When George Saunders won the Booker Prize last month for his magnificent novel, Lincoln on the Border, I leapt up off our sofa and punched the air as if he'd won the Curry Cup. It felt nice for once to have backed a guy who went home with a trophy and a handy check of 50,000 crispy British pounds. Lincoln is described on the Booker site as historical experimental, which is accurate but sounds slightly off-putting. Don't be. It takes a while to get used to the strange format. Dozens of voices, a chorus of sorts, offering comments in what seems to be a void, which is apt for these turn out to be voices from a cemetery during the American Civil War, during which President Abraham Lincoln's beloved 11-year-old son, Willie, died of illness, at a time when thousands of other sons were dying too. The conversations of souls caught in the bardo, a Tibetan concept similar to limbo. They cling on to the world they once knew, and for whatever reason, love, hate, revenge, remorse, cannot bear to leave. Their remarks are often short, pungent, even ribald, as they watch and speculate about the grieving president, who returns twice in one night to say farewell to his dear boy's body. That part, by the way, is historically accurate. It is a work of enormous, fertile imagination, and also one of compassion. I haven't ever read anything quite like it before, and I adored it, and described it on FMR a few months ago as a work of sheer genius, and I still hold that view. The Booker today recognized as the most prestigious prize given to English language books was inaugurated in 1969 and has anointed some of the greatest writers of each generation, including both South African Nobel Prize winners, Nadine Gordimer and John Kutsia. This near year's Nobel Prize laureate, Kazura Ishiguro, won the Booker in 1989 for his The Remains of the Day. I first noticed the prize back in 1981 after I picked up a paperback at Heathrow Airport. By the time the plane had landed back in South Africa, I'd fallen in love with it. It was Salman Rushdie's Midnight Children. And when it won the Booker three months later, I decided that this was a literary competition I wanted to watch. It's often controversial depending on who the judges are and which writers are liked and disliked by them. And some of the winners have been marvelous. In 1992, Michael Ondaatje won for The English Patient. Both of Hilary Mantel's books on the Henry VIII era were worthy winners, and I revered the 2014 book, Richard Flanagan's The Narrow Road to the Deep North. 
Yet other winners have sent me into a rage, including The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton, one of the most infuriating books I've ever struggled to read. Well, like the Turner Prize, the booker thrives on fanfare and controversy. It is a huge event in the literary world. It is covered live by the BBC each year, though the broadcast format certainly leaves a lot to be desired. This is the second year in a row that an American has won, and Saunders' short, wonderful acceptance speech deserves a wide audience. It's worth tracking down on the Internet. Finally, an interesting footnote is that an annual booker event is held in Cheltenham, when books from an era predating the booker are adjudicated. In 2008, the winner for the year 1948 was Alan Payton's Cry the Beloved Country, picked over Norman Mailer, Graham Greene, and Kingsley Amos. What a nice way to end my chat today. Link it in the bardo by George Saunders. Catch it if you can. Mike Fitzjames, will you succeed in shredding our nerves with three grand thrillers? Good afternoon, Gorry. I have three fine thrillers to recommend this month. First choice is Warlord by Chris Ryan. Chris has become a deserved hit with his SAS stories. In his latest book, he has developed a new and refreshing broader approach while retaining the SAS content. Mexican drug cartels are rampant, with men, women, and children being butchered in the most obscene ways. The most violent cartel is Los Zetas, consisting of a highly trained renegade former Mexican Special Forces. The CIA reaches out to the British military for assistance, and an SAS team, headed by Danny Black, are tasked to subject the Zetas to a dose of their own medicine. Obviously, working deniably and under the radar, their mission is to bring death and destruction to the cartel in order to force out into play their leader whose designation is Z1, together with his top henchmen. It will take all of the SAS team's skill to break into the heart of the cartel, and even then they don't know what they will find. This is a cracking good read, which runs like a bushfire from start to finish. My second choice is Crime Scene by Jonathan and Jesse Kellerman. Eccentric and reclusive, Walter Rennett is found cold at the bottom of his stairs. At first glance, the scene looks straightforward. The once respected psychology professor, beaten by drink and bad heart. His daughter, Titania, insists that he has been murdered, and she urges Clay Edison, deputy coroner, to take a closer look at the grim facts of Rennert's life. Now Clay learns that Rennert's colleague died in an identical manner, and Clay becomes determined to discover the truth behind the death of both men. Normally, his job is to tease out the facts behind dead bodies, but this time he becomes part of the story that makes his blood run cold. No more revelations. Enjoy this chilling tale. My last choice is Did You See Melody by Sophie Hannah. 
pushed to breaking point by problems, Kara Burroughs abandons her home and family and escapes to a five-star spa resort that she can't afford. Arriving late at night, exhausted and desperate, she lets herself into her hotel room and is shocked to find that it is already occupied by a man and a teenage girl. A simple mistake by the receptionist. But after a good night's sleep in her correct room, Kara realizes that the girl she saw alive and well in the hotel room is just someone she could not have seen, namely the most famous murder victim in the country, Melody Chapa, whose parents are serving life sentences for her murder. Kara doesn't know what to trust. Everything she's read and heard about the case or the evidence of her own eyes. Did she really see Melody? If so, is she prepared to ask herself that question and answer it honestly, even if it means risking her own life? This was brilliant writing and a great story. Well, that's it for this month. My choices were Warlord by Chris Ryan, Crime Scene by Jonathan and Jesse Kellerman, and Did You See Melody by Sophie Hanna. Enjoy your reading. Vanessa Levenstein, Asylum by Marcus Lowe, and the powerful book on Quasi by Reedy Tlubby. A colleague handed me a book and said, read it. No obligation to review it. I had no idea what it was about or who the author was, but by page 15 I was hooked. Asylum is the debut novel of Marcus Lowe. Set in 2022, Barry James is incarcerated at the Pearson Quarantine Facility for pulmonary nodulosis in the Great Karoo. We are sick and therefore we are isolated, locked up. We must wait our days here and then die so that the healthy ones, the ones we have forgotten about, may live. The novel is narrated primarily in the first person with Barry's journals. These are deconstructed by a commentator, be it a doctor or researcher, as a historical artifact. Barry's rich poetic voice contrasts with the researcher's clinical observations. Barry's journals reflect his many different worlds, the present, his hazy past, and we are uncertain, as perhaps he is too, as to what is real. We do know he has a terminal disease, is locked away from society, and he tried to kill himself. This leads to the intervention of a psychologist who urges him to keep a journal. As he floats between his unbearable existence and dream world, the author explores the tenuous thread between life and death. Does she not understand what torture it is for the dead to watch the living? Asylum works on many levels, as a futuristic dystopian novel and as a stark portrayal of people trying to escape both physically and mentally from a very real nightmare. The writing is vivid and the plot includes a nail-breaking prison break with fleshed-out believable characters. Even the bit players are true to life. Existential despair, blood, phlegm and corpses are hardly light subject matter but they are injected with beauty and glimmers of hope. Barry writes, Maybe this deathly business is where the poetry of writing comes from. It's interesting to know where Asylum's writing comes from. Marcus Lowe has an MA in creative writing from UCT and is also a public health specialist. On a more personal level, he is a degenerative eye condition. Clearly he's academic, 
literary and personal experience have culminated in this original and deeply moving novel. Quasi by Reedy Tlabi. Gori gave me a pack of brightly coloured post-its for me to stick in my books when I was reading them for review. So the books that I review are covered with post-its. The books that I read for my own pleasure, no post-its. This weekend I was given a book to read, which I didn't stick a single post-it in, but having read this book felt I really had to share it with our FMR listeners. Quezi, the remarkable story of Fezikele Nsukwela Kuzwayo by Redi Chlabe. As we know, Kweze was the woman who accused Jacob Zuma of rape. The name was given to her to protect her safety during and after the trial. Now, Redi Chlabe's book is a seminal must-read. She tells Feza's story and also deconstructs the role of power abuse through the horrifying acts of sexual violence to women in our society. Chlabe breaks down the court case and the way it was engineered to slut-shame the victim of the alleged crime. Fez emerges as a beautiful, forgiving, loving and brave woman and throughout her life was betrayed by those who should have protected her, yet she continues to rise again and again. That Fez never lived to see this book published is heartbreaking, yet we owe it to her and to the countless others whose voices have been muted to read it. Quasi is a book not for owning but for sharing. Read it, and then give it to somebody else to read. Melvin Minar, two long books of short stories. Don't underestimate the clout of the brilliant short story in the pantheon of literature. Majestic novels have their charm, and poetry is enticingly filigree, but finely tuned, perfectly pitched short stories can pull a pretty powerful punch. Two new SS tomes I indulge in recently vividly demonstrate splendid winning wordcraft and the surprising narrative skill that leaves one with a fulfilling lingering aftertaste. But first for those in SS doubt, let me make a case for the short story. The genre sometimes has an uncomfortable fit in the grandest scheme of literary classification, for a lack of a better description, and the word short is often read to mean less. But the perky tight telling has been around since humans hooked onto the joys of narrative and wonder. The point about a short story is that it is a relatively rapid concluding read, not for fast reading, but one that holds attention for a contained period of time. A condensed concentrate of storytelling to construct the ditzy oxymoron, the best SS fast tracks reader engagement and attention. It makes no more demand than the basic narrative requires and leaves a deeply satisfying glow in the well-satisfied literary mind. A tradition of mostly yesteryear, finding proper short stories in public publications these days is a rare pleasure. It's one of the reasons I pay the hefty import subscription to the New Yorker magazine. In days before 140-character communication, the greatest novelists of their time often indulged in the challenges of the taut tale, the sharply targeted, hyper-loaded sentence and tightly pitched plot. This doesn't mean to say there aren't contemporary whizzes. The writers of this week's two treat reads are recent entrants into the international essay scene, with debuts that made the news. Perhaps most striking about the two books, notably humble in presentation and therefore so much more a rewarding read, is the author's dynamic and different styles and uniquely individual voices. Often the good essays has a particular clarity of individual expression. The accusation, 
A Book of Seven, I quote the subtitle, Forbidden Stories from Inside North Korea, is already somewhat of a course the celeb. A winner of the English Pen Award, and most unusual in that it gives a rare peak of contemporary life in that clandestine, nebulous country. It is also an engaging example of creative writing within a formal closed state system where creative people too have to obey the rules. North Korea is notoriously cut off from the outside world and it runs the most tightly controlled society. Even writing is carefully managed. The author of this smuggled manuscript, pseudonym Bandi, meaning Firefly, remains unknown and is possibly a member of the official writer's organization. So these stories are serious and dangerous stuff, charting the lives of ordinary people under the regimes of Kim Im-jum and Kim Jong-il during the early 90s. It is easy to overdramatize and churn up the propaganda value of scenarios that often read like Orwellian satire, tragic comedy even. For example, a baby of a party official cries at the sight of the giant posters of the leaders outside her apartment. The mother closed the curtains, but soon a higher official comes visiting and the shut curtains become an anti-revolutionary crime. Through the blunt, ragged, often urgent prose, one gets a curious image of this strange country and society where, and I quote, innocent people whose lives consist of doing as they were told, end quote, accidentally clash with the rules and then realize what they've been told all along is not true. This revelation, a thread running through all the stories, selected from a larger group and brilliantly translated by Deborah Smith, casts a tragic loom in conclusions of nowhereness. The young 33-year-old Leslie Arima, too, negotiates the grim edges of the human condition in a wondrously titled, What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky. The 12 stories vary substantially in tone and spirit, often tilting the reader off balance as she flirts with magical realism, hyperrealism and the fantastical, but each beautiful narrative pulls the reader to pointed conclusion. This anthology, too, has caused a stir in the international literary world, and rightly so. If anything, it's the way Arima adventurously tackles a prose style that upsets time and reality, mixes the existent with belief, myth and wonder. With a culturally mixed background comprising the UK, Nigeria and the USA, she delves into the contradictions of that crossroad. Mothers and daughters, their relationships or not, are running themes. Like in The Accused, the snapshots are vivid, memorable and densely coloured by the cultural milieu of the settings. Two cousins, for example, very different, try to come to terms with their environment and are reprimanded by their mothers for bad behaviour in the story Wild. In the exquisitely magical Who Will Greet You at Home, a girl woman composes the baby out of human hair and waits for it to come to life. The fabulous title story tells of Neoma, who is a grief worker in a sky-fire world and has the power to draw sorrow out of people, like, and I quote, poison from a wound. Like in the Bandy stories, these vivid personalities live to just about within the reach of hope. What it means when a man falls from the sky, published by Tinder Press, and the accused Serpent's Tale, offer that hope pleasurey to us admiring readers. Philip Tartar's interesting book of short stories, The Goddess of Matwara. And other stories. In fact, the book is The Goddess of Matwara and other stories. It's the Kane Prize for African Writing 2017. 
And I think I'd better just give you the background to that. The Kane Prize for African Writing is an annual literary award for the best original short story by an African writer published in the English language. The prize has shone a light on writing. This is the blurb. I'm just going to read the writer's shine light on writing from the continent with some of the best writers going home with what has become a coveted prize. And what's interesting for me is that's really what it is all about. And I'm going to quote from the one story, The Secret Language of Vowels by Abdul Adan. And he says, I belong in a world that allows everyone to create their own language, not where one has to inherit the ways and tongues of one's parents. I think that's a very important line to me because it does deal with the whole question of decolonization, which we're going through quite painfully at the moment. We've also just gone through September, which is Heritage Month. And several things are happening. And also, we're right now in the midst of uh, Cape Town Fringe. All things where people are telling their own stories in their own way and very much in postmodern sense in their own language. What I liked a lot about the stories were the vernacular that was used. And sometimes it's kind of haywire and you're not quite sure where we're coming from. And even the story written by a South African writer, there are quite a lot of Afrikaans words thrown in which haven't been translated. And that really is that sense of the local and the particular, which I liked so much. To me, it really has a resonance of finding oneself and writing hugely creatively. Yes, I do find some of them a bit verbose and some of them are a bit fancy in terms of, you know, spinning things out in sort of ways which become a bit irritating. But, I mean, can one go against the Times UK which says dazzling and splendidly diverse? I think that really does sum up the stories that I've read. And I love the goddess of Matwara and other stories. We're talking about gods. We're talking about powerful entities. We're talking about bad spirits and evil demons. We're talking about young modern cell phone operating a very savvy contemporary people fearful and concerned about and directed by very strong forces which are culturally directed and these were quite amazing stories for me and and just sort of wandering through how people deal with a very modern world but still with very strong cultural associations so i found that very very interesting there are four sh- stories that are prize-winning stories and the others have come out of the workshops and it comes from Sudan from oh there's one for the first time a short story written in Arabic and all these stories tell wonderful stories it also reminded me of just last month in September there was a festival called discovering Jewish music and theater going back, finding the stories, finding remnants, piecing them together, and having young students working on those remnants and finding the stories and what they were finding for finding themselves. And I really would recommend the book to anyone who's looking for something that's really interesting, something different, something that might provoke, even get one a little bit irritated and annoyed. But it certainly is a book that you'll read, want to know more about, and dip into. Just out of interest, some winners that have won the Kane Prize, which you might know, Leila Abulela, uh, Helen Habiba, and the one that I have read from time ago, No Violet Bulawayo. So I think, pick up a book, it's published locally by Shikana, and it's a book that will intrigue, impress, and I think take you into a different world in a very strong and powerful way. That's The Goddess of Matwara 
and other stories, the Kane Prize for African Writing 2017. You said one of the stories was written in Arabic. Are all the others written in English? They all are written in different languages, but they are all translated into the English language. Actually, I think that was the only one that there was a translator, whereas all the others actually are written in English. So it is quite an amazing collection. Get out there and enjoy. And that's it then from Batabataba Radebi, who so cleverly kept the show on the road, and from me, Gory Bose Taylor, it's Be Happy Reading. Book Choice was proudly brought to you by Wordsworth Books. Hi, I'm Andrew from Wordsworth Books. We have bookshops that are a bit different. We have staff that are a bit different. We love our customers, and we're passionate about our books. From paperbacks at 59 Rand to Leonardo da Vinci at 2,000 Rand, our selection is remarkable, and we sell special stationery as well. Wordsworth. We sell books the old-fashioned way. We read them. FMR.